Zipper rolls out to the right, pitches off to Taylor, and Taylor's to the 20. Down to the 15, down to the 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Billy Taylor scored a touchdown from 21 yards out. The crowd goes berserk. It was November 22nd, 1969 that they came to Barry, Michigan, all dressed in maize and blue. The words were said, the prayers were read, and everybody cried. But when they closed the coffin, there was someone else inside. Oh, they came to Barry, Michigan, but Michigan wasn't dead. And when the game was over, it was someone else instead. Eleven Michigan Wolverines put on the gloves of gray, and as the organ played the victors, they laid Woody Hayes away. Under center is Wangler at the 45. He goes back. He's looking for a receiver. He throws downfield to fire. Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Our game day guest this week is Nick Baumgartner from the Athletic Detroit. A reminder to rate or comment on this program wherever you get your podcast from. I'd also like to hear any of your maize and blue thoughts about this season, good and bad. Email me at the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. So before Nick joins us, let's get it started with my view from Section 17 as we do every week during the season. Well, the defense was outstanding on Saturday. I think we'll all agree with that. I kept waiting for them to break, and I wouldn't have blamed them. They were on the field all day. I thought all along defense was not going to be a problem for us. I mean, yeah, they got handled by Wisconsin, but I have a lot of faith in Don Brown, and I knew he would get things back on track. Now, watching our offense on Saturday, that was another story. It was so painful. As hard as it is for me to say this, I think it's true. The offense at this point of the season is what it is for the most part. We are at the midway point of the season, and I wish the offense would morph into this speed in space attack we were expecting, but highly unlikely that's going to happen. Jim had the best of intentions when he brought Josh Gaddis in as a new OC, but for whatever reason, the install of this offense is just going to take longer than anyone ever thought. We're going to have to find a few things that the offense can run well and run them, and maybe add to that week by week. And you know the staff knows that by now, and they're working on it. But I'm worried about the confidence of Shea Patterson and the offense as a unit. Now, I know people are laughing at Jim for his post-game comments, saying the offense was hitting its stride. He repeated it again Monday at his presser. He knows what he's doing. He has to let his team know he believes in them. And I know he does. And who knows? Jim might be right in some small way that the offense might be getting better in practice, It just has to start translating to Saturdays, and quickly. My guest today says the only thing he can say about this new offense is the installation has just not worked for whatever reason. Nick Baumgartner from The Athletic Detroit joins me next here on The Michigan Man in partnership with our friends at SB Nation's Maze & Brew.
here with us on our game day segment to take a look back at the Iowa game Saturday and just a wee bit ahead to uh, Illinois. Nick Baumgartner from the Athletic Detroit. Great to have you back again, Nick. No problem, Mike. Glad to be here. Well, let's start with the positives from Saturday's 10-3 win over Iowa, Nick. Um, and I think a lot of fans were are struggling to see some positives, but uh, that defense, uh, Jim Harbaugh called it a masterpiece. I'm not sure if that's mm-hmm. what it was, but it was a very impressive effort, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, full disclosure, I was actually at the Michigan State-Ohio State game, so I had to catch this. I caught the second half live, and I've rewatched it since, but... Mm-hmm. Um, when, I'm, when I'm listening to it, because it's funny, because I got the, the weird, uh, it's different for me because I'm usually at the game, yeah. but I'm listening to the first half on the radio, right? So I'm listening to them getting stop after stop after stop, and I'm like, well, maybe I was just struggling, or maybe it's them playing really well. Then I turned on the second half, and uh, Iowa was certainly struggling, but Michigan, Michigan was taking it to them. Uh, they had no answer. It was a really good game plan, I think, um, with the bliss packages that they put together, the pressure they showed. There was some zone we saw out there, too, in coverage. I mean, they mixed some things up and really became um, something that was very difficult, it seemed like, for Nate Stanley to read. And then the offensive line had no no answer for anything up front. Michael Glumford being back seemed to help a lot. You know, it's back in, in what looks like good health anyway. seemed to help a lot. Uh, the defensive ends were terrific, all the way down to Michael Dano, of course, coming in after Quiddy Pay had gotten banged up there. But... Um, you know, great stuff from the front seven. And, Mike, I I have 100 podcasts now. I, I don't know if you know. I, I podcast <laughs> like four times a week. But every one of those last week I said, you know, this is an, this is an answer the bell game for both sides of the ball. And, and kind of where I thought it was defensively, I said, for, for the front seven. It, it's it, You have to show how much progress you've made since um, the Wisconsin game. Because Iowa, you know, albeit not as good as Wisconsin, Iowa, if you let them – you know, we'll pound the ball on you and we'll we'll bully you up and kind of embarrass you. And that didn't happen. I mean, they had one yard. Cameron McGrone looks like an answer in the middle there, of course. And, and the whole front seven, I thought, you know, from two weeks ago, I can buy that maybe that was a little bit more of an aberration than than what we saw, right? Because I think the mm-hmm. state proved that they're better than that. And, uh, and that's a big step for Michigan. Well, that defensive line is still a concern for me. I'm just going game by game on this. And you're right. Uh, hopefully yeah. the Wisconsin game was an aberration. But the depth, I know that's something that still concerns a lot of us. But these guys, were they were really getting off blocks well on Saturday against a very big and a very good Iowa offensive line. So, And the good thing to me was they got contributions from a lot of guys, Nick. Yeah, they, they got a lot of guys in there. They got a lot of guys some time. And you're right. They got off blocks. They looked, they looked like they had more energy. They looked like they were in, in more in tune with what they were doing. Uh, they were just getting caved in at Wisconsin. I mean, there was no, uh, it was it wasn't scheme or, or, or effort or whatever. I guess I don't. Maybe it was. I don't know. It was, you know, just a team that was getting caved in, you know, by an offensive line that was just completely dominant. And you know, Iowa's offensive line again, not as good, but still not bad in terms of run, uh, run blocking. And you know, yeah, they were getting off blocks. I thought. Terrell Kemp looked better. Um, Aiden Hutchinson continues to improve. Uh, Quiddy Pay, of course, before he got hurt, was much better than he was two weeks ago. Same thing with Michael Dana and so on and so on, on down the list. You know, I mean, it's not a perfect front, of course. You don't have you – know, it's, it's the same thing. You're, when you lose Devin Bush, uh, it can be a jarring thing because he was, you know, as good as any player I've seen since I've been covering Michigan. And when you take him out of the middle there – uh, it changes a lot, and you know they've had to adjust to that. And you know I think that steadily they have. You know this isn't the best offense you're going to see all season, of course, in Iowa, but you've made them look really bad. And you know that for for a good defense, that's 
that's the best you can hope for. So, you know, and, you know, and more than that, you know, when your offense is that bad and putting you in horrifying situations yeah. over and over and over again, <laughs> yeah. uh, pretty solid defenses, even good defenses are going to crack. You know, they're going to, there's going to be something in the second half where they let one slip and, and Michigan did. They actually had the, the play in the end zone where the tight end got loose and they got a holding call, but that was, that was about it. And I think that guy dropped the ball anyway. But, I mean, that was about all I could see in the second half in terms of, well, you got lucky there. You know, you got out of – I mean, other than that, it was just they just dominated the game. So, super impressive mentally to hang in there like that and, and make sure that that game ended the way it did. When you mentioned missing Devin Bush, that's, that is huge this year. We know that. But some of the young talent on defense starting to contribute and, and impress, yeah. starting with Cam McGrone, who you, who you mentioned, uh, he flies all over the field. He looks like a player, doesn't he, Nick? Yes, he does. He looks like he's playing up to his um, – he looks like he knows what he's doing now. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's got to be the biggest thing because Cameron McGrone was a really good athlete in high school. Uh, he was a five-star recruit in, um, in, some, in some ranking classes or whatever you want to call it, and some he was a four-star. But uh, he was one of the top linebackers in the class. Uh, he was a guy that they thought would come in and contribute pretty early. And, of course, now you're seeing that. But I think that last year it seemed that it was uh, – a super adjustment for him in terms of, you know, understanding what you're doing and, and maybe where to go, which is natural. And then I think they said that somewhere along the lines at fall camp this year, they started to see a guy who played with his instincts again and, and, and kind of understood his place in the defense. And now you can kind of see, you know, a lot of times it's just read and react. And, you know, a lot of stuff they use with him with pressure, you know, he's closing mm-hmm. the ground pretty quickly. He understands what he's trying to do. You know, I mean, you hate this. You hate to see it for somebody like Josh Ross, but, you know, he got hurt, and that's why Cameron Groan's in the game. Um, boy, I got to tell you, I don't think that Cameron Groan's coming out when Josh Ross gets back. I don't know how you do that. Yeah. I, I think that you got maybe you figure out a way to get Josh Ross some time somewhere else because they think he's a good player. You know, McGroan's reps have to be there because he's been, he's been really good. He was even good at times uh, in the Wisconsin game. You know, he was maybe the only guy you could go back and look and say – you know, there was some. There was a couple plays in a losing effort where he, you know, he was the guy. If he was making a mistake, he was making it 150 miles an hour. You know, that was what you wanted to see in that game. Maybe if you're looking for any scrap of anything hopeful, um, and now it looks like he's really coming into, mm-hmm. you know, being a guy who understands his job. And Dax Hill, true freshman, starting to get mm-hmm. more minutes. The fans have been clamoring to see Dax uh, since uh, opening night. Pretty obvious to even the average fan, I think, Nick, that this kid is really special and. He just looks like the real deal out there, doesn't he? He's ready to go. Yeah, he closes a lot of ground really fast. Um, he understood coverage concepts in high school as a player at a higher level than, than most did. And, you know, that speed that he has, for his ability to close down. And he made a tackle that most people probably won't notice or care about, but he made a tackle in the, I, can't, I think it was the first, I think it was the first half of the Iowa game where it was, you know, it was a play that ended up being like a three-yard game, but I mean, he came from his high safety spot all the way down and closed like 12 yards and made what probably should have been like a nine- or ten-yard gain, a three-yard gain. And, you know, stuff like that, that's, that's always impressive. But, yeah, I mean, he made a nice play on the ball that led to an interception on a tip. Um, and you just look at him, mean, he just covers so much ground to where when you have guys that are that fast, uh, like I said, I think his football IQ is higher than most at his age. But when you have a guy that's that fast, it's like Devin. I always go back to Devin Bush. I mean, Devin was such a smart player anyway, but when he did make a mistake, you didn't notice it because he could, he could, he could wipe it out because he's so quick. And I think that there's some of that with Daxon Hill and that, you know, even if he is going the wrong way or something, I think he can come back on it 
you know, without much problem because he's so fast. And so, and I don't think that's the issue. I think he knows what he's doing. He seems to be a good fit there at the nickel spot and, and some of the safety reps that he's getting to. So, you know, another guy that uh, probably needs to continue to play more and probably will play more uh, as they go forward here. And, you know, that's Michigan's defense right now. Speed. It's not, they're not a big defense. Um, they lost a lot of size, a lot of big speed, sort of, so to speak. And so they got to combat everything with, with more speed on their own because they do have a lot of it. Uh, in a lot of areas on the field. So, you know, we saw it certainly on, on Sacramento. Nate Stanley's mm-hmm. not the fastest quarterback you're going to see anywhere, but he had nowhere to go, and eight sacks is eight sacks. Well, and thank goodness for that defense because the offense, uh, if you sat through it, we knew it was absent. Uh, mm. The postgame presser, though, Jim said he thought the offense was hitting its stride, and I, I rewound that a couple of times just to watch the look on his face as he was saying mm-hmm. that. I'm not even sure why he would say something like that, but clearly – there is something really, really missing with this offense right now, and I don't know if anyone can figure it out. Yeah, I wasn't there, of course, to, to listen to that, but I heard it after the fact, and um, it seemed like it was one of those, somebody asked a question about, you know, <laughs> what does this offense have to do to hit its stride? And then he took the word stride, and then he does that sometimes and turned it into, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't imagine you watch that game afterward and, and behind closed doors and sit there and think, boy, we're really close, guys, because – you know, they have a lot of problems. Um, and, and this game, number one, was the quarterback. Uh, he's not seeing anything. Uh, and when he is, he's not making throws. And part of that is on coaching, and part of that is on him. Um, he's a senior quarterback. He's got to be better than that. You know, there are times where I watch them play, and I say, you know, he doesn't know where he's going with the ball. And that's, and, and I look at it and I say, well, that's because. Maybe because he, the install's just been poor. Maybe he just hasn't been taught, you know, the the, the concept the way he needs to be taught yet, uh, and it's it's still it's still coming along. And then there are times where I see him, like the interception he threw in the first half, which is just inexcusable for any quarterback at any level. I mean, you know, he makes a throw, they run the high low thing into zone coverage, and the low the low read is completely open like it's supposed to be. Um, and he tries to throw it over the top into the tighter window and gets it picked. I mean, that's that's a, that's something you see from a freshman or a sophomore quarterback playing for the first time. That's not that's not a guy who started multiple games and had a, and it was an efficient player last year. You know, a guy who didn't do that last year. And so there's a serious regression at that position for whatever reason. Um, and it just hasn't. And I think it's a it's a factor of all. I think it's 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 a it's a new staff that hasn't done a good, very good job of installing or at least or hammering down details on what they want done. And it's a quarterback who's just not comfortable. I mean, anytime anybody plays zone against Shea Patterson, it's, it's a struggle for him. I mean, he, it's, it's, it's hard for him to see what he's supposed to be looking at. And, and there, there are times where Michigan doesn't counter that very well. But then I go back and I look too, and it's like, uh, you look at the, you look across the board and, and you say, well, you know, he's struggling but the rest of this offense is still sort of unsure what it's supposed to be doing half the time. I mean, you see a play on uh, near the goal line uh, where it was goal to go, I think, early mm-hmm. in the game, mm-hmm. where he misses a wheel route that was open in the end zone. But he, I think it was maybe it was a different. I'm thinking of. But anyway, Nico Collins gets yelled at by Gaddis for having the wrong route depth, and it's like. Is that just a mental error on Nico Collins, or is that you didn't tell him where to go? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, so it's a really, it's a really weird situation where it's uh, no one really seems sure what's supposed to be happening, and um, it's we it's game six now. You're mm-hmm. about to be in game six. I just 
the odds of this offense becoming anything resembling explosive seem long at best. And I suppose your best hope would just be to find efficiency somewhere, however you can find it. And what that means, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. No, I don't know either. But when you watch Shea Patterson on Saturday, what I'm starting to notice and worry about is his confidence starting to wane a little bit. Because when you watched him after oh, yeah. the play, you would see hands on hip looking over at the sidelines. And you're thinking he was doing it quite often on Saturday. He does look very unsure of himself. I know that this this would be a big decision on Jim's part. Do you think it's, mm-hmm. they might be considering trying something else just to, to get him off the field for a while? Uh, McCaffrey's been hurt, so I mean, it depends on maybe his um, you know, his concussion if he's cleared cleared with the brain injury to come back and, and practice or play. So I I got to think that that's probably a, a factor here as well. But the way I kind of look at it is, you know, I remember, and you hate to say but this is sort of like. This is sort of like what the situation they were in with uh, – I don't think it's as bad, but it's close to what it was in 17, where you have a quarterback who's just not – it's not working. I mean, it hasn't lost you a game. But, I mean, if you get into a situation now where quarterback – I think going forward, if you get into a spot where quarterback play is costing you drives and possibly costing you the game, then you got to do something. I mean, if it doesn't if it doesn't continue to move forward – I mean, we saw that in 17 where – Harbaugh stuck with John O'Corn through that Indiana game where O'Corn was like five of twenty, and it was just that—that that was worse than anything Kid did on Saturday. But it was one of those where they got out of it, they survived, and then they got destroyed at Penn State, and then he was still struggling against Rutgers, and it was like, all right, now it's t- okay. And then Brandon Peters comes in and something different, you know, and they get out of it and they move on. But you know, that to me is kind of where it's at now, where it's like, you know, if you're in, if you're in a situation where the quarterback play is directly resulting in you not being ahead on the scoreboard or you're struggling to, to win the game, then I think you have to at least consider it because, you know, one more loss and this thing's over anyway, I mm-hmm. mean, in terms of a Big Ten race. Um, and then you'd really have to consider it because what are you doing at that point? Because if, if, you're, if your senior quarterback's play is, is bad and is not improving, the only reason he stays in the game is if the guys behind him are, are worse. And that, you know, that would be a more alarming situation. Uh, and that would be another thing where we'd point to the coaching staff and say, what are you doing? You know, what, what are you doing with these guys behind closed doors? Why are they not understanding what they're supposed to be doing out on the field? I mean, this is still college football. And I, and I still keep that super high on my list when I look at these things, especially with the quarterback. You don't find many players in college football that aren't out there doing everything they can. You know, I mean, they're trying, and you can see it from shape. Mike, you said it. He, he looks frustrated. He looks like his confidence is lacking. And it's not from lack of caring. I mean, he's it seems like he's trying. He's doing everything he can. And he's obviously frustrated with it. And when that happens, you, I look at the coaching staff and I say, "What are you doing to get this guy out of this? You can't just you can't just say every guy doesn't have it, because eventually, you're the one who doesn't have it." And so that's what I look at it with 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 the coaching staff right now, because this is like the fourth quarterback this has happened to, or the third, where you look at him and you say, "What happened to this guy?" And you know, you wonder where that all comes from. And now it's like it's become like a theme. And it's like this is mm-hmm. now it's it's on the coaching staff, and that's and I still put it there at their feet, and they've got to figure it out because you know they're the reason this is this is going on, and 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 they're the only way that that it uh, that it gets fixed. Well, let's talk about the the next mystery, at least to me, on this offense, and that's the the offensive line. I mean, they were okay in pass mm-hmm. blocking. Shea had plenty of time on Saturday, I thought, for the most part. But, yeah. you know, but five games into the season, the question to a lot of us, Nick, is with basically the same offensive line returning from last year. Okay, you have Jalen Mayfield on the right side. 
And you've got Ed Warner back coaching them, who got a lot of credit for bringing them along and making them better last year. And they're struggling. It just doesn't make sense to me, Nick. No, and, you know, again... It's it's I think it's compounded into a complicated situation where you started the season um, with an offensive coordinator that run that wanted to run things that were different from what this offensive line executed last year and they struggled with it and you know they had new tackles rotating in and all this and new backs and it just hasn't looked and so they've had to scrap down some of that and kind of go back to the foundation of what they what they were good at last year. Um, to a degree, but it also really brings down. I mean, you can't run much, you know, because you haven't. They've only the only things that they've, uh, you know, the things that they ran well last year: the split zone, the inside zone, the outside zone, that sort of thing. Um, a lot of that was predicated on the outside zone. In a way, it was predicated on a running back who was a veteran who understood that concept really well and made good reads. And now you have younger backs who are running hard and trying, but you know their reads are not going to be as clean, so they're not going to they're not going to make it look as easy sometimes. And then, you know, when you, when you, when you're trying to run gap stuff, that doesn't work. You got to take that off the play sheet. The pin pull stuff that they're running doesn't work. You got to take that off the play sheet. Now you look around and you say, well, you only got like two or three things you can do. And Iowa knows it. And you know, there you go. And that's why I think you end up in those situations. I don't, I know when I, when I've looked back at it, um, you know, last week when they played records, I haven't gone all the way through twice and looked at it deeper here, but you know, they struggle with the things that, that, that they've proven that they're going to struggle with that Michigan continues to run anyway. And when they're, when they're running the stuff that we know they can execute, they execute it. So, you know, it's one of those things where, I, again, I go all the way back to August 1st, 5th, whatever, when you start camp. What were you doing in August? And that's what I go back to with this offense. Is the install of this offense was bad. Uh, I, there's nothing else to say at this point. They can come out every week and say it's execution. We got to execute. We got to stop fumbling. All true. You have to coach better because that offense isn't good at one concept. And you've had six weeks. There's, there's not one or two. There's not one thing, let alone two or three, where we can look at and say, well, at least they have that. They're going to get out of this game because they're going to get up. You know, they're going to line up in twelve and they're going to run the G scheme and they're going to get out of this game. They're going to do things that we know they can execute and they're going to get out of this game. They don't have any of that. So. That's on the coordinator, and that's on Harbaugh, and that's on the staff because they didn't install it right, and um, or not well enough anyway. And and again, that's you know being honest with yourself here now, six weeks in, and and if you're not going to be honest with yourself, and it's just going to continue. If you think that you're hitting your stride, um, okay, well, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and maybe I guess we we can be proven wrong, right? We're not experts. It certainly doesn't look like it right now. No, and and you get to this point, Nick, where we are almost midway in the season, uh, and Jim and Gaddis and the offensive staff. Uh, if we see it, you know they see it, and they've got to try something. Sure. I'm sure you know they don't know what it is, or they would have started fixing it already, but. One thing is sure, the offense has got to be better soon, even if it's incrementally. Or, you know, when I look at this schedule, look at some of the teams on that schedule, I think, you know, another four losses are, are very possible. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's, you know, that's what this team looks This team looks like it's going to have to work hard uh, to get to 9-3. and three. I mean, they look like they're going to have to really strain to get to that 9-win mark mm-hmm. in, in the regular mm-hmm. season. And anything beyond that would be, you know, quite the turnaround because they're not headed in that direction, and neither is Iowa. You know, and that was the that was the whole takeaway from that game was you know two teams that were ranked in the top twenty that don't appear to be headed for the top end of the top twenty. You know, I mean, it just doesn't look that way from either side. 
And, you know, there's still obviously time to turn that around, but it's like you look at that performance offensively and you say, how that's not going to hold up on the road against anybody. So you're going to go to Penn State in a couple weeks. You play like that on the road there, you're going to get run off the field. Uh, it's certainly not going to hold up against Ohio State. No chance in, if you're going to play like that against Ohio State. I don't care where you play it. Same thing with Notre Dame. And then Michigan State um, is a flawed team, but they have enough defensively to beat you if you're going to just do that on offense. If you're going to play in a game where your quarterback, if you take out the 50-yard throw that he had or 60-yard throw that he had, I mean, he's averaging like four four yards an attempt. If you're going to play like that against a team like Michigan State, you're going to lose that game too. So there's there's plenty of games on the schedule left, more than the easy ones, right? There's, there's plenty of harder ones than there are the the easy ones. So, you know, I'm not sure what the answer is, um, but I got to think at this point, um, all options have to be explored, and that includes the quarterback. And um, I think that would only be fair. I think that there's no there's nothing left to say in terms of you know why are you not looking at this because there's no reason to. I would think everything would would have to be probably explored at some level. Well, as I said, it looks like uh, another three or four losses could be on the horizon if we don't get this fixed, but one of them should not be this weekend down in Champaign-Urbana. <laughs> yeah. The Fighting Illini, might, they might not be as bad as Rutgers, but they're just not a good football team at all, are they, Nick? Yeah, they're not as bad as Rutgers um, because in that I don't think they're hopeless like that. But, no, uh, you know, they pushed Nebraska hard a couple weeks ago at home, um, but I think Nebraska's kind of proven to be not good. <laughs> it's probably the best way we can put that. So, no, I mean, you know, Brandon Peters, obviously, in the former Michigan quarterbacks, the guy there, that'll be something people talk about this week. Um, you know, I think Brandon's had a couple games where he's been pretty good, and a couple games where it hasn't gone very well. Uh, but, again, Illinois, no. I mean, they've got a lot of transfers on that team in general. Brandon's not the only one. They've got a lot of them that have come through there with Lovey Smith as he's trying to get it going. Um, certainly a team that Michigan has a talent advantage over. A team that's not very good anyway, but also a team that's playing at home. And one that's probably, you know, this is one of those games where if you're Illinois and you're trying to get yourself out of the trash can, this is the time to do it because you got you got a you got a name opponent coming in. You know, Michigan's ranked 15th or whatever, um, and it'll be all guns blazing. I mean, that's this team really feels Mike. This team really feels like the 2013 Brady Hoke team mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. started out like six and zero. Remember that team? They were oh, like five and zero or six and zero or something like that, and then they got. They lost to Penn State, and the wheels fell off. This this feels like that team, where it wouldn't take much to their confidence is just on it's super thin, and that's the, that's what I'm what I'm talking about when I say that. And that so it wouldn't take much for them to find themselves in a hole, and and playing suddenly poorly, you know, much much worse than they they probably are capable of. So uh, if you're Michigan, you have to come out really prepared and and ready to play because Illinois is not good, but it's a road game, and uh, you know. Stranger things have happened. So, you know, it's got to be—they've got to be locked in, because I don't think there's anything left on the schedule that I would say is just an all—you know—automatic gimme uh, for this team the way they played offense. No, very concerning. Well, aside from uh, Michigan, uh, I watched the Ohio State-Michigan State game on Saturday night when I got uh-huh. back, and I know you were down there. Spartans uh, had that great first quarter, and then Ohio State just exploded, and from there on out, they just look scary, don't they, Nick? Oh, yeah, yeah. They've got uh, Justin Fields. You know, I said to somebody at the game, I said, boy, by the middle of next year, because uh, you got to remember, this is only like his sixth game as a football player, college football player, or fifth or whatever. Uh, by the middle of like next year, this guy's going to be undefensive. I mean, I don't know how you guard him. I mean, he's, there's so much he does 
Uh, he's got such a good arm. He's really accurate when he sees and makes the right read. Uh, he's obviously fast. He's big. I mean, that's the thing, too, where it, it sneaks up on you when you see him in person, how big the guy is. Uh, now he can run over and around people. Um, you know, J.K. Dobbins looks like the star that we thought he would turn into uh, when he started at Ohio State. You know, the offensive line's blocking well. The receivers are everywhere. And then their defense is more organized, of course, with Greg Madison uh, and um, and the new staff they have over there as well. So all that talent uh, is is playing with confidence. And when that happens, you know, look out. And Michigan State is – you know, in a situation where I actually thought for stretch of the, stretches of that game, I mean, they had some mistakes, but they had some of their best drives of the season offensively, and Brian Lewerke's playing as well as he has all year, um, and they still weren't even close. So I think that well, when I look at that, I look at two things. Ohio State's super talented um, and is just kind of motoring through people without much resistance, and Michigan State is limited. I think that that's the best way I can put that. They they don't have a lot of easy answers to get out of problems. Uh, they have to really play perfect on offense for that thing to work. Defensively, they're still really good, as we saw at times, and then the times where they got off off kilter there. But they have the potential to be really good. Uh, offensively, they're um, you know yeah they're limited. They don't they don't have a lot of get out of jail free cards on offense. So you know it's, it's easy to see where that goes south pretty quickly. But yeah, Ohio State clearly the best team in the league. Not even close. I can't see anybody right now. Maybe Penn State, maybe Wisconsin, but um, you know, I guess we'll have to see about that. Well, it's going to be an interesting uh, stretch run, and you're right. Penn State might be the only team that can give them a game. Uh, maybe Wisconsin. It's going to be interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Here with us on our game day segment as we uh, took a look back at uh, the defensive masterpiece, as Jim Harbaugh called it, in uh, mm. against Iowa. Nick Baumgartner from the Athletic Detroit. Nick, always great to have you on the show, and we uh, look forward uh, in a couple of weeks to getting you back. Absolutely, Mike. Not a problem. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. On Quick Hits today, at his Monday presser, Jim said he had no updates on the health of Quiddy Pay and Sean McCune. Dylan McCaffrey and Josh Ross are still out. Jim said Donovan Peoples-Jones is close to being 100%. We moved up to number 16 in the polls this week. Aiden Hutchinson was named the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week after his outstanding performance on Saturday against Iowa. And next week, our trip to Happy Valley will be a night game. That was announced on Monday. Kickoff will be 7.30 p.m. on ABC against Penn State. Thanks again to our guest today, Nick Baumgartner from The Athletic Detroit. On Thursday's Visitor's Edition, my guest will be the radio play-by-play voice of the Fighting Illini, Brian Barnhart. So make sure you join us for that. That does it for now. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. Until we meet again, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V Sporto Network.
and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!